0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Welcome to On the Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotson, Addie I'm Andy Brassel, and I'm Miguel Delaney. So we'll talk about France today because they've recalled the Madrid striker Benzema back to the national team for the Euros after a six-year absence. Will it be Comcy si, Comsa on his fractures past? In Germany, Dortmund give a masterclass on how to save your season going down the Rhine without a paddle. And in Turkey, one of the closest title races of the season is resolved without the difference the Mezet Erzil factor was supposed to make. So, Andy, before we talk about Bim Bimmer, who's got the keys to Benzema, the <laughs> Gals Dem Sugar, you wanted to talk about the outcome of the Italian Cup and French Cups last night.
2: Yeah. Um, victories for the little guys. Uh, Juventus and uh, Paris Saint-Germain winning their uh, respective the little guys. cups.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: And... Um, Uh, I think the French one was very interesting because it was between Paris Saint-Germain and Monaco. It's got a lot riding on the the, the final day and the fact that they could get it done um, without Neymar, who was suspended for the final. But the Italian one, Miguel, was really interesting because Juventus had to fight pretty hard to put away Atalanta, who unlike themselves have already qualified for the Champions League. It was interesting hearing Pirlo talk about his future and saying he would definitely confirm himself in the job. <laughs> and then little pause. Yeah. If it was down yeah. to him,
3: I am available. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for continuation. Um, it was just. I mean, I think. I suppose you pointed to it there. It's also just slightly depressing, and also the even the Juventus almost casting themselves as having to fight in that way. Ooh. I mean, it's something we've obviously discussed a lot on the podcast, but. I think it's all the more pointed this season because this season involves so much disruption I was unprecedented chaos in the game all the rest of it that if ever there was a chance to skew European football this was it. And yet bar potentially Lille winning the title bar Atlanta finishing second bar maybe Atletico Madrid winning the league, and he, Atletico, Atletico Madrid are pretty much a super club now.
2: Well, that they were in the Super League, yeah, exactly. They? <laughs> exactly.
3: Yeah, um, for all the questions about how financially secure they are, but beyond that, it's it is. We're seeing a little bit too much of aggression to the usual order, and, he, and he, even Juventus, it feels like a lot of a lot of their problems have been kind of self inflicted. Yeah, that's true. Ra- rather than actually, anything to do, anything to do with any great. Um, Robin Hood-like overturning a power or whatever. Um, but yeah, so in that context, both of the teams winning was a little bit depressing. I was quite pleased for Pochettino to finally win a trophy, but I mean, that's that says a lot about the situation of Paris Saint-Germain as well. Just on
1: the question of Juventus, are you saying, Miguel, that they're too big not to have a place in European tournaments?
3: No, more so, I suppose, it's just that... Um, Basically, the, the, the problems they've had have been. I mean, they've made some kind of weird decisions over the last three years. In fact, they probably went from being one of Europe's most stable and well run clubs who use what at the time were more limited finances, compare, at least compared to the other super clubs, in a very calculated way, to then in the last few years going for kind of just decisions that are a lot harder to explain as they make the leap I think
2: the phrase these days is moonshot (laughs) or go for broke yes yes possible they're (laughs) making a good job of that Um, but yeah I mean of of course there could still be huge repercussions for them and Pirlo Pirlo was never going to get confirmed after winning the Coppa Italia because it's all about what happens this Sunday for them when they could still miss out on top four
1: incredible but there are other topics, as I say, to talk about. And I suppose an eye-catching one is the return of Karim Benzema to the France squad. Miguel, clearly, this is with a view of making him uh, what you would expect to be one of the star attractions of the Euros.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, like I suppose only a few weeks ago when it looked like Madrid could somehow do what they always do and go against form and even the quality of the side sometimes and uh, win the European Cup again. There was, I think, legitimate talk about Karim Benzema as Bal- Ballon d'Or winner. He, it, it did feel like he's carried Real Madrid a lot. And he's kind of, he's in in a strange way, become the kind of dominant figure that he had looked like he was going to be in 2008, but always became a little bit of a, kind of a, a secondary cast member. So from a purely football perspective, it obviously makes so much sense. But obviously there are so many strands to this story from kind of, Elements like, I suppose, the cohesion of national teams and how Deschamps have tried to run France, right down to, I think, uh, almost Benzema's, the perception of Benzema as a figure in France. And, of course, the, uh, the entire case hanging over him. It, 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 it's a really fascinating story, I think. And it's, I suppose, because the club game, because they're so close together, and the club game has been so dominant of late. It feels like Euro twenty twenty is suddenly come out of nowhere. That we there hasn't been that much of a build up. Mm. Whereas this suddenly, this story suddenly put it front and center again. And it's a it's a huge one to kind of suddenly build up the competition.
2: Yeah, it is. And um, you know, obviously, potentially, it's a huge difference maker for France, as Miguel was saying. He's um, one of the best players in the world, certainly in form. And so for France to bring him into what is already. A squad absolutely heaving with talent is 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 extraordinary. I mean, the off pitch stuff clearly that's still happening. Um, you might want to explain that. Yeah, though. what's the baggage that comes with Benzema? That's right. Well, th- there's this um, uh, blackmail case uh, that he has been um, alleged to have been a part of involving his, uh, former international teammate, uh, Matthew which is a huge part of why he hasn't played for France since the back end of 2015. The course is, uh, the case is still live. He is going to court for it in October, although he's always denied any involvement. Um, and that has definitely affected the way he's perceived in France or some would say, uh, nurtured certain views of and uh, prejudices involving him in certain parts of French society. Um, But it hasn't affected his game.
1: Or if it has, it's affected in a positive way.
2: Maybe, as you say, in a positive way, because I think the fact that he's been able to um, exercise right, eat right, have good holidays... It's definitely helped the way he's played at Mm. Real Madrid. He's definitely helped Real Madrid where he's had to take on a completely different role because of the failure, for one reason or another, of Gareth Bale to step into the shoes of Cristiano Ronaldo, the fact that Eden Hazard hasn't really worked out, the fact that they've had no other real centre-forward. That He's gone, really, from the creator Mm. to the finisher. And he he could always finish. He was always a terrific finisher. But the fact that he's recast himself, and he has changed as a player in terms of the way he's muscled up is something we talked about quite recently on OTC. Um, That really, the evolution of his game is what has persuaded Deschamps to repick him. Because all this other stuff, and of course there's that famous line from Benzema that he gave in that interview to Marca a couple of years ago when he said, um, Deschamps had given in um, to the opinions of a racist part of France which is quite a provocative thing Mm. to say. And obviously, Eric Cantona went on and took it further, which was the subject of, of legal action from Deschamps and his team. But the thing is, because it was never about that for Deschamps, because for him, he is the ultimate pragmatist as a coach in terms of the way he plays, in terms of the players he's picked. Go back to his times with Juventus... With Marseille, a club level, he's massively fallen out with players before and then brought them back as if nothing's happened. Wiped the slate clean just like that. The thing with Benzema, it's not just about how he's viewed in society, in French society. It's not even just about the equilibrium of the team and the squad, which he has always put above everything else. Rather than picking the best players, he's always wanted the best balance of personalities, which is obviously hugely important at any international tournament. But I think it was the way that Benzema played because Giroud, whatever you think of, whether he's elite, not quite elite, whatever, I, I would tend towards the, the the former rather than the latter. He's been perfect for France because no other striker has been able to do what he can do. Mm. So this it's, it's a bit of a red herring when Benzema said in the past, um, you know, in that Instagram chat, he famously said, um, well, don't confuse an F1 car with a go-kart. You're talking about himself <laughs> no, and,
1: no. Uh, and Giroud. No. And
2: he repeated it for, uh, <laughs> for for value later on. The thing is, Giroud is the ultimate conduit for bringing those other people into play. He's he's strong, he's a good target man, he's intelligent, he makes good runs in the channel, he can make the last pass, he's he's consistent in his all-round game for France, certainly, and he's started topping up that goal tally as well. And it is all about getting the best out of those other players, and it's been about getting the best out of Antoine Griezmann. Now, you look at two things. The fact that, now that Benzema's muscled up and he can score headers in the penalty box, he can possibly offer you the prospect of being a better version of Giroud. And we know he can do that altruistic side as well because he created so many yeah. goals for Cristiano Ronaldo. And then you look at the fact that whereas in 2016 and in the Euros where they nearly won it in 2018 in the World Cup where they did win it, so much of it was about creating the right conditions for Griezmann. Griezmann is not in his best moment. Yeah, And for all the talent that France have in their squad, do they have a centre forward that you can really rely on anymore yeah. and this is what has made Deschamps
3: make this decision D- this is a slight tangent but I think it's connected to what you're talking about in that in 2018 I remember kind of thinking given France's talent and I suppose it, again some of the personality you're pointing to that to a certain degree not that they won in spite of Deschamps but that his approach almost suppressed what they had whereas now I have to say I I've, I've, have evolved my opinion in the last three years where I think and I think this is something worth discussing ahead of the Euros in general, that the international game is basically, it's almost like a completely different branch of the sport now, than mm. club football, that involves different requirements and how you set up. I mean, with the most basic, most basic, obviously, like, I mean, say the, the super coaches in, at the super clubs, they have so much, they essentially drill to an almost American football level. There's such a level of integration, which kind of is the foundation of modern attacks. You can't do that in, interne- in the international game, no. which is why... It becomes more dependent on a solid structure, but also, and this is so relevant to Benzema, I think, kind of being able to create something out of nothing in quite an old-fashioned way. Um, so I, I, again, I think it's why you can see the logic here and why, because there is that for all France's talent, they do. There is that kind of that, that little gap, maybe there, there one flaw in the t- or not, not one flaw, but the one area where they aren't quite as uh, you know as. as <laughs> as bolstered as everywhere else.
2: Yeah, and you could argue that is something that you really need in international football now. Someone who circumvents the need to play good football. And France under Didier Deschamps have been constantly criticised at home for the fact that they haven't played great football. Mm. I mean, I agree with you. You don't win international tournaments now by playing great football simply because of the way that the calendar is set up. You need to be solid and create those big moments. But we know that not only can Benzema create a bit of magic he can score off set pieces. Look at the goal he got oh, yeah, against yeah, Chelsea yeah. in in the in the in the first leg of the Champions League semi-final, a point at which Real Madrid were getting battered, creating nothing, and he just snapped up sharp as you like some some seconds from a from a set piece and I think that is important as well. I mean you have to assume he's going there to start that Olivier Giroud is is going to get the elbow. Benzema's not going to yeah, to yeah. sit on the bench. I think that's clear. And that does have I think that does have certain implications to the to the squad spirit which Deschamps must have thought hard about.
1: You see, what I don't get, and I, I get your point uh, about to win uh, international tournaments, you have to be solid, not necessarily play the best football. But you do still need a star attraction, don't you? I mean, unless you're lucky enough to have been in the position that Greece were or Denmark were when they won the European Championships, you still do need a star attraction. And that has got to be um, Benzema. I would have thought, for the French Team this time around ahead of the Euros because he's the guy first of all that you're looking to because he's in the the informed striker. You do always need to get the goals there, don't you?
3: I think it just elevates a team. It just gives them that kind of different weapon that they're lacking. I don't think I necessarily think you need it, and I do think this is actually going to be because of the season we've had. And unlike the issues we've been talking about in club football, I think this could be quite an open Euros. Mm. Um, like Why? The, the, just be. I mean, if you if you look at the history of tournaments that have had shock winners or a lot of sh- a lot of surprises with the chief being i suppose 2004 92 not so much i think because it was slightly different context and also i think that denmark team was quite underrated uh, but anyway that's a, a different discussion <laughs> uh, so but yeah but 2004 and 2002 2002 the, the that world cup started really really quickly after the club season to it to, to basically to allow for the uh, the Asian rainy season, so I think what I think the Champions League final was on something like the fourteenth of May and the world cup started on the 31st of May mm. that's almost no time at all and also and this is connected to 2004 that was just as the club game was adjusting to the expansion of the champions league so what happened was he had a series of international tournaments where players were going in like the star players were going in really fatigued i think and i think i think it's a direct explanation for why greece won and why 2002 had so many shocks and argentina and italy going out early and all the rest of it and I think we could be getting into a similar situation here, especially again because there's a there's a really quick turnaround again, a twenty four team tournament. We've just had a, a like a, a season of unprecedented um intensity in terms of schedule. So at least there's a bit more of an opening. For 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 lesser sides in that regard, I mean, with a Fran- smaller country should with, I say,
2: with France's ability, if it wasn't for like deadlines in terms of like registering your squad, what you could do is you could get twenty three players to play or twenty six players to play the first part of the tournament <laughs> mm. and then change them over after the group stage because you look at some of the players that have been left out. I mean, the talent is is unbelievable. That they've left at home and you know there, there were I have said it before there were legitimately 50 players
3: yeah who could say that you
2: know I could be in that France squad it's remarkable
3: the, the one thing actually just uh, I feel I should mention this because I, I did I did find it quite moving yesterday was all these videos from basically um of kids in North African communities in France just cheering the Benzema news it was it was uh mm. it, it was remarkable. But from. that's where he's from. That's
1: he's from, though, isn't it? He? He's straight out of the barn, new, crazy called Benzema from the cold.
2: You know, do you know what I mean? That, that, yeah, that that is that 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 is him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, he's 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 been consistent in. Um, the, the, the sort of guy he is and not cutting himself off from from his community. I mean, he even did say in frustration, of course, a couple of years back, well, if France don't want me, maybe I'll go and play for Algeria. Knowing full well, I'm sure that that couldn't happen because he, he played 80-odd games for, for France. But it's interesting because when you look at his closeness with Zinedine Zidane, which I, I, you can't escape the fact that that has been a huge part of this and, you know, that Zidane at some point, it wouldn't surprise me that... Um, Maybe he followed Didier Deschamps in, in this job. The fact that Zidane really never spoke about that fact that he was from a North African background, it, he never really got into uh, the political and um, social implications of that. No, it, it, it wasn't com- lost. It, completely it, it wasn't, wasn't It lost wasn't on the lost, fans it wasn't and lost the on it wasn't lost on anyone. And you know, if you think like people from. Um, the outskirts of Marseille, sort of cheering for a guy who never played for their club. Mm. It's, it's, it's remarkable, and sometimes people from Marseille feel quite divorced from the, the the rest of France. So, in terms of him being a figure of unity, yes, he was really, really important. But Benzema, it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say on this going forward, because he's someone who's who, who knows his own mind, who's who's not. I wouldn't exactly call him chatty, but on the other hand, he, he doesn't duck issues.
1: You know, uh, funnily enough, I've been to the Bonlieu of Marseille, and it was one of the grimmest places that I've been to where people live en masse. And I just remember one little kid who couldn't have been more than about eight years old that I just wanted to slap. He was just swearing at us. He was just swearing at us. <laughs> I mean, proper, proper, the most vulgar kind of swearing. I, I us,
2: have told you not to go to Marseille wearing your England shirt.
1: Dortmund seemed to have saved their season it was looking a little bit grim for them a couple of weeks back or a couple of months back I suppose but I suppose they've done quite well for the team that they should be. They seem to have salvaged their season. How do they do it? Well,
2: you're right the first time. It was weeks ago. Weeks. I, I mean, at the start of April, Dutton, seven points adrift of the top four. And it wasn't just the results. They, they looked so disjointed, so disorganized. And the coach, Edin Terzic, who, of course, took over was the assistant to, to Lucien Favre, um, who was binned in mid-December. Terzic was given it for the rest of the season as they looked for their long-term target, who they eventually got, Marco, Reus of Möncheng, uh, Marco Rosa sorry, of Borussia Mönchengladbach. They've already got Marco Reus, who will start work next season. And that left Terzic really facing a, a huge first job. He's never been a head coach before. He's got some interesting experience, um, both in the Dortmund youth setup, where he was under Jürgen Klopp, and then under um, Slavin Bilic, who personally headhunted him to work with him at um Tash and West Ham. Still only 38 years old, at Terzic. And this was an enormous job for him. And when you go back to the start of April, you think he's been thrown in at the deep end without a rubber ring, and it's, it's, it's just too much for him. You know, you think he can't get any sort of consistency out of the team. He can't organise the defence. They're really relying on just individual moments of quality to to, to make the difference. And at that point, it's got a whole load of implications because one missing out on the champions league in any year is not great. Missing out on the champions league in pandemic year when everyone's Mm. lost a lot of money. You know, this is not the Dortmund that won the title and got to the champions league final under, under, under Klopp, where everyone likes to talk about, oh yeah, they had a lower wage bill than QPR back then. Well, one, QPR would run an absolutely massive wage bill in the Premier League at the time. And two, once you succeed in any sport, you have to start paying yeah, yeah. the players. And, and Dortmund are a lot further along the line now. Um, so it would have been very, very expensive for them. It would have had an effect in terms of Erling Haaland. Because, of course, I think it's no coincidence that as they look as if they're not going to qualify for the mm. Champions League, Mino Raiola and Elfinger, the, the the dad, of course, do their little tour of Europe, <laughs> trying to drum up potential suitors. Most of these potential suitors obviously don't have the money to make anything happen with Haaland this summer. But it's just a case of Raiola saying, look, if you don't deliver us Champions League, which our mm. client very much loves it, playing in, we do have other possibilities, and even if you say you're keeping him until 2022, well, maybe we'll see about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and now, I think after this double triumph, and they have had a lot of assists from Eintracht Frankfurt, who went and lost four three at already I relegated mean, that, Schalke last just, week. Just to across, is that
3: if that, I mean maybe this is a little harsh on a club kind of still trying to defy the odds a little bit, but it feels like a massive bottle job from Eintracht Frankfurt.
2: Yeah, they they've, they've been there before. I mean if we go back Miguel to 2 years ago when um again under Adi Hütter with that terrific um front trio of uh, Haller, Rebic and Jovic. Mm. You know they really close to knocking Chelsea out in the the the, 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 champ, uh, the Europa League semi-finals, sorry. And it all fell apart in the last four or five games of the season where they, they looked nailed on for the Champions League. And they've done it all over again, as you say. I don't think there is any other way of looking at going to Schalke, yeah. and losing Schalke, already so. yeah, relegated yeah. Schalke. And for Schalke fans, you think your season of misery can't get any worse, <laughs> and then you roll out the yeah, red yeah. carpet for Dortmund to get in the Champions League. It's, you couldn't, you couldn't make it up. But I think the fact that not only did they win the, the DFB Pokal um, in style with two from Haaland and two from Sancho, this was last Thursday happen so quickly in football at the <laughs> moment and qualify for the Champions League but the bits where Horland was injured particularly when they beat Leipzig in the league a couple of weeks ago and he's a really demonstrative cheerleader I think that that is, that there couldn't be a more public of expression of I want us to get to the Champions League, I still want to be here next year
3: Just on that actually as well, I mean I suppose one side is uh, Frankfurt but how much is, is this maybe a little bit harsh on Favre, but how much is Terzic basically undoing and why there was a little bit of a delay trying to undoing some of the issues that there had been and putting something in place, which is why they've maybe come to form?
2: Well, I, I think that there are two parts of it. Firstly, it's such a difficult job, not just because Terzic is so inexperienced at, at the top job. And, you know, you think there's nearly 30 years between him and Lucien Favre in, in terms of age. It's the fact that Favre was, as one journalist explained it, trying to win games 1-0 with a group of players who should be winning games 5-3. You know, there was no pressing. It was very counterintuitive to a lot of modern football. And then Terzic comes in and he's like, yeah, let's press. Let's be more clop. Let's get in people's faces. When do you have time to do that mid-season? When do you have time to drill the players, to work on it on the training pitch, to get the necessary fitness? You don't have that time. And I think that really showed in the quite uneven results. I mean, Germany's known for having long winter breaks. They started again on the 2nd of January this year. I mean, they literally Mm. had a five-minute breather and then they're, 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 they're straight back at it. So that was really hard. I think he's used his emotional connection with the club, Terzic. And he has got this really emotional connection with the club. He was very moved after they won the Pokal final. And he did this Instagram post of him in 2012 when he's on the terraces as a fan, watching them win the cup under Klopp. And then you have 2021 where he's on the pitch holding mm-hmm. the trophy, which which is really nice. But how he's managed to finally get through to the senior players which he didn't look as if he was capable of doing and Marco Royce who has had a season where his body has really looked beaten up and you know he said like this week that I've asked Yogi Love to not go to the Euros which is hard for him but he said I I just need a rest I I, I just can't give any more he's looked like he was on the way out really of the top level for most of this season and then in recent weeks from somewhere he's pulled it back and, and, and played really well. I think the return of Sancho is absolutely massive as well and going back Miguel, I don't know what you think but his form in 2021 has been incredible. That little pause with the thigh injury What difference would it have made to the Champions League this season if he's fit for those two
3: Manchester I know, yeah, especially given how close that game was and how Mm. up until the Foden finish, City were kind of, well, they're on the rack a little bit. And and they did look very, very vulnerable in that first leg as well. And Sancho could have been the difference. I wonder if, though, for
1: Dortmund, you could argue that, uh, you you mentioned Sancho, how vital he is for the club. Uh, Everybody's focus is on where Haaland is going to go next. And I wonder if you could make... An argument that it is something of a poison chalice to have gotten into Europe, given that we're expecting, aren't we, the Dortmund squad to unravel um, in terms of players, significant players leaving ahead of next season.
2: I think they're in better control of it because they don't have to sell to the same extent they're still expecting to sell Sancho this summer but if he were to turn around and say you know what I fancy an extra year and speculation has increased that that might be the case certainly yeah. speculation in Germany has increased that that might be the case because he's been at pains to say recently how happy he is you know he's he's never going to go
3: I, I think in a strange way and not completely down to format that his market has reduced more yes. I mean, part, part of it is what Dortmund would want although I understand there is a there has been a little bit of I don't want to say regret but maybe there was a feeling that last season actually was the optimum point to sell him mm. or to get the optimum price especially given the because Liverpool Liverpool want him or have wanted him for a while but probably don't have the funds. Manchester United it feels like have almost moved on a little bit in that regard and they they, they may look elsewhere particularly to the defense midfield and obviously uh, it, I mean as as far as his next step a return to England has been put forward as a big one. I mean Madrid are are looking elsewhere now and probably don't have the money. Um And then with Haaland, from what I, after, as you say, a period two months ago where they did their little world tour and it looked like he was almost certain to go this summer, there are increasing indications he actually might stay now for another season and that they might feel it's better for him to move next year, better for his career as well. Yeah, I wonder
2: if there's some sort of halfway house contract extension to be reached. To mm. protect his value going forward, and to to give him that reward for for yeah. everything he's he's put in with a, a, a bit of a pay bump. I mean, he's been very clear about how much he loves it there. Um, mm. I think the relationship with him and holland which has been the footballing bromance of of twenty twenty one,
1: well, Holland and Senja. yeah.
2: Apart yeah. from us, obviously. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's been something that's really notable, and the fact that holland has developed his all round game, so they actually click to a better extent on the pitch I think they both think they can get a little bit more out of that as well and yeah I I think you're right Miguel I mean his form has been brilliant in the second half of this season but a lot of these big transfers are very very difficult to make in this in this coming year
0: Le très bon ballon de la part d'Emerichan. Jadon Sancho a fait la
1: différence. Jadon Sancho Et le voilà Le premier but de la saison. Enfin, la récompensée. Jadon Sancho, 91ème minute pour venir valider le break du Borussia Dortmund.
0: jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now save 50 percent on the sleep number limited edition smart bed for a limited time for jd power 2023 award information visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter
1: This week, at Sukarnov. If you're wondering how Ashwood City Football Club dealt with the news of the European Super League, then binge the award-winning mockumentary The Offensive this summer. I
3: think a few of the players are considering taking to social media. No, fucking no. Okay, turn off the fucking Wi-Fi for all I get. Tear down the 4G mask. Patrick, you've got a Zoom call with the other 14 right now. The 14? What? they are meaning Premier League clubs. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't want to talk to those fucking losers. Or if you'd rather
1: get stuck into a comedy film podcast, why not check out Clash of the Titles, the podcast where two films with something in common go head to head to decide which one is better. The latest episode saw Red Heat up against Tango and Cash.
3: In both films, I think someone says, "Where did you learn to drive like that?" Which no one ever says in real life. Oh, I had lessons, uh, but a nice callback. And your nan, like... <laughs> your nan that, are you now, you now
2: the Oh yeah.
3: How many times did you take to pass? You passed first time. What about
2: your written test?
3: All that. And
1: a whole lot more at Sakanov. Let's talk about a league now that we have neglected to a certain extent over this season, which is the Turkish league. Um, it's interesting now that that has been decided that the one player, this star attraction of this season, uh, signed from Arsenal, of course, Mesut Ozil, has not made the impact that you... That they probably at Fenerbahce were expecting him to make.
2: Dotney's not only not won them the league, they're not in the Champions League, Fenerbahce, and that is a huge issue. Now, we have to say, firstly, this was a brilliant end to the Turkish season because on the final day, three potential teams can win it. Two realistically, it is out of um, Bajiktash and Galatasaray. Now, Bajiktash going to the final game on top. But the goal difference is so close, they could actually be top on the final day, win on the final day, and not win the title. <laughs> and that could, have, that could have happened. Two more goals for Galatasaray against Melacaspor, um, and, and, and that's what, that's what happens. Um, it, it didn't happen. They got there in the end, Bajiktas. But when you consider the pickup in Fenerbahce's last, what, two months of the season? you look at the results under Emre, of course, former Newcastle and uh, inter divider of opinion, um, (laughs) who was the sporting director and came to coach the team for uh, after, after they got rid of Errol Bulut. And it's extraordinary to me that you you look at the numbers going into the last couple of games. He's going along at two and a half points a game and they still don't, they, they not only don't win the league, they don't finish in the top two. And Fenerbahce, we know they've had issues in terms of trying to clear their name of match-fixing, etc. cetera. But for a club like them, who like to be as extravagant as them in the transfer market, to not make the Champions League again Miguel, I mean, they've, they've been such a notable absentee from the Champions League. Yeah. And when in January, they go all in, not only in... Even if you're signing Urzil at a wage cut, it's not a cheap signing. And it's a, you know, very visible signing as well. And on top of that, they get uh, a fan, Jan Kachevi as well, from Bajic Shahir. And do you need him if you've got Urzil already? Well, that's debatable. But they've they've gone all in. And then they don't only not win the title, they don't get in the Champions
3: League. That's quite hard to sell, isn't it? given actually what we what we've been talking about at the top of this podcast it is actually quite invigorating that that they couldn't just spend their way yeah, to, to totally. victory uh, and actually showed that for for all the money conditions football more than anything else you can still spend it very badly yeah uh, and and especially if you get i mean it, in in the modern game like that it does feel also and i suppose this is relevant to like so many big players now, so many big contracts, and especially just given what we've been, just been talking about with players like Haaland and Sancho. It feels like one of the stupidest moves you can possibly make in modern football. And actually, again, this is relevant to the event is, is just getting completely persuaded by star power and throwing a load of money at, at, at someone in their late 20s or early 30s. Uh, because given the pace of the modern game as well.
2: And, and it, there are a lot of those there, there are a lot of those short-term fixes of uh, uh, Fenerbahce, mm. Papis Cisse. There's been someone else who's brought in and, you know, he's, he's scored goals wherever he's been. He's scored goals since he's been in the Turkish Super League. Uh, Ena Valencia was really important for them in the run-in as well. This is very much former Premier League bingo. Wait till the <laughs> bit where I tell you that the goal that won the title was by a current Premier League player <laughs> and then
1: we'll be talking. Yeah, indeed, but it, it, there was a certain arrogance, though, isn't there, that you think... That a star player, or he he wasn't a star player when he left Arsenal, but certainly for your uh, league, he would be a star player. A big player from another league can just slot into your league and make a difference. He he was
3: kind of an Arsenal blogger by the end. That was his his main style. (laughs) (laughs) You you could argue that. No, you could argue that's where
1: I saw him mostly and not on the pitch, as it were. But... um, It goes to show that there are very few players and it's a unique skill to be able to transfer from one league to a completely different league. not talking about just the pace, you know, but the expectations and everything else that it would have had on him in Turkey. And to expect that to deliver you a trophy. I get the point you're saying that it's actually quite refreshing that you can't buy your way to a trophy, Miguel. Uh, But actually, there's something much more fundamental here, I think, which is... I'm not sure whether star players... Star players are more likely to not deliver when you switch uh, disciplines to another league.
2: It's an interesting point. And I think even more pertinent with Ozil is to go from a situation where you've not played basically for a year to mm. expecting to carry a team. That is very, very difficult in a very physical league as well. And, uh, you know, there was always understanding both from... Fenerbahce from inside the club and from pro Fenerbahce voices outside the club that oh it's going to take time but it was such a huge a seismic cultural event for him to arrive it's quite difficult to contain that expectation yeah. now that point you made about hunger the guy incidentally who scored the winning goal who had a great season who scored the winning goal for Bijik Tash that won the title on the final day from the penalty spot Rashid Gazelle who still belongs to Leicester Terrific season. I think if you look at the players they've got in, if you look at Gizal, another one who bombed in the Premier League, George, Kevin and Kudu, who had some super fun on social media following their win, which we'll come to in a minute. Um, The idea of a player, like Ozil's done it all. You can criticise him for what happened at Arsenal, but at the end of it, he can still turn around and go, well, yeah, I've had a great career. Mm. But whereas Gizal... And Nkudu can't necessarily say that. And they played all season yeah, with the hunger of guys
3: going, actually, we're better the, than you think we are. That that hunger also is kind of central as opposed to what we're talking about as well. I mean, I suppose there are a few questions about what Ozil's own motivation is beyond going back, going to Turkey and being kind of a revered figure in that way. Mm. But also... Do we think there was any kind of arrogance about him that he thought he could go back and kind of just impose? Or even is it just that, at this point, and given what happened at Arsenal, is he just complacent now having achieved so much that he just, ha- just doesn't have that assertiveness anymore? I mean, like what, one assist for Ozil, and what was it, 10 appearances? Is just... That is shocking, actually. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at that, that
2: is shocking, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the, the assist wasn't anything sent from heaven. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a free kick. Uh, I mean, you know, they've, they've always... Played the line that you know we've signed him for the young long haul is for the next couple of years, but I think to for this to be such a a huge commercial moment and them not to even get in the Champions League at the moment for him not to be in the Champions League next season, that's got to hurt. And you've really got to praise, Bajic Tash, who at the start of this season no one thought they had a chance of getting anywhere near this this title. They have made the most of the slips that Galatasaray and Fenerbahce have, have made. And actually, Galatasaray played a really smart winter window. They got in um, Mustafa Mohamed, uh, Egyptian striker who scored lots of goals for them. They, they got a Fernando Muslera, their iconic goalkeeper, back from injury, which was big as well. But Tash, um coached really well by Sergen Yalchin, um, have, have done a, a brilliant job. And bearing in mind that they've had financial issues, again, that... People even wondered whether they could get together a competitive team at the start of the season. To go on the run that they've gone is amazing. I tell you what, they deserve
1: that flotilla
2: along the Bosphorus (laughs) to celebrate their title. You know, they got the... um...
1: I got like the Turkish... Lord drivel. Byron swam across the Bosphorus and he had a gammy leg. So what What, what did they need the flotilla for? I'll t-
2: tell you what, they probably had him in as well. It was quite a presentation given that we're in COVID times. Well, that, they won the double as well because they, they beat Antalya Spor in the Turkish Cup final. And so um, I've been parading the trophy on this flotilla, which they took from the Asian side of Istanbul all the way to their stadium which if, if if you know the Bajiktash Stadium Vodafone Park is is right on the, 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 the Bosphorus by uh Dolma Bache. So they're all celebrating on the boat and uh, all the rest of it. They get like what's the Turkish equivalent of you know you know the service that like you you text them or you use the app and they deliver groceries to yeah. your house. <laughs> In in a wonderful sponsoring twist, <laughs> they got that to deliver
3: the, the trophy folk. to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just given all the discussion about the Champions League final, how how did it all? How does it all work with the kind of celebrations?
2: <laughs> well, I, I guess that means there's lots of public areas in which uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're waiting for large <laughs> amounts of people that are, that are no longer going to be met. I mean, you know, Istanbul's going to get his Champions League final in. In 2023 now, which is also, if I'm not mistaken, the 100th anniversary of the Turkish Football Federation. So it's a bit like when Wembley got the Champions League yeah, final yeah. In, in 2011, for, for example. I mean, they've been waiting for long enough and it wouldn't have been quite the same. Just a find
1: a word on Mesut Ozil. Um, and Miguel touched on the fact... Or was it you, sorry Andy, that was talking about how um, very tough the the Turkish league is and brutal brutal uh, Mesut Ozil is not that kind of a player he's the kind of like twinkle. oh we will this, be in six months time if you no, wants really. to keep playing I'm there not sure because <laughs> here's the history of these kind of star players appearing on an in another league is that the other players the ones that aren't fated as much as you think I'm not having that I'm not having that not with you on the pitch you're not making a mug of me on the pitch. And I wonder whether they haven't been a little bit more brutal with Meza Ozil for this season. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out why he failed so dramatically. Well, I think, you know, he's he's brought into an existing team.
2: I think if he gets a pre-season, if he gets himself properly fit, if he gets on the same level as the other players in the squad, then maybe it's a different kettle of fish. But it's a long time since we've seen the very best of, of Meza Ozil now. I mean, even... 75% of the best of Mesut Ozil would be a huge asset to not just Fenerbahce but to the Turkish Super League and uh, I hope we get that
1: It is time um, the end of season time for you to both suggest a game of the week that we can focus on and I imagine you know given that there are two big leagues in uh, Europe that aren't quite done yet the focus will be on Spain and France am I right Andy? Yes so, who's going to go for Spain, Miguel?
3: Uh I will go for Spain. Who's going to go for Spain, Miguel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will of course go for the I mean, there's, there's Madrid's game, but ultimately that is dependent on what happens yeah, between Vidalid and Atletico Madrid and we could see the grand coronation. Um so uh, I have to say this is I think this is going to, this is set up for a hugely Anxious, tense, 19 minutes. Uh, uh, Atletico
2: don't do any other way. Like yeah, they, exactly.
3: They? I mean, I was I was watching the uh, the Osasuna game the other day, and it was that was a team up close to a massive bottle job. Yeah, it, it was absolutely remarkable. And, you know, when I say that. I mean, our our hometown club, on my mother's side, our Osasuna. They have a good account of themselves. A good spirited, semi basque uh, semi smanish account. <laughs> they
2: gave a good account of themselves yeah. while Atletico missed chance after chance yeah, yeah. in that first but, but half. It, but it
3: was it, like, it, <laughs> it, but it wasn't like they were kind of opening up. Uh, typically of Atletico, no. really, it was all this very kind of staccato football. Um And I mean, I suppose it ultimately depends on if they can get some sort of early goal against Vidal. That that should be it. But if not. If a goal, if it if it ticks past say twenty minutes, then you kind of you're getting into one of those situations. You, you say that, but if they get an early goal, if they don't build on it, yeah, yeah,
2: th- th- they'll end up defending for the last twenty minutes yeah. anyway. I mean, that's the incredible thing about this Atletico, isn't
3: it? Can you imagine if there's only one goal in it? And Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> <geez. laughs> I, f- I feel tense just. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So that's the one that we should watch, obviously. Yeah, yeah,
2: I I, I, th- I, think so, right? And uh, you, it's interesting that um, Ronaldo, of course, the, the great Brazilian, the president of Valladolid, is uh, currently getting a lot of stick from the Valladolid fans. Of course, they're on the brink of relegation um, about the, the, the way he's run the club. So, of course, if he did something positive for... For Real Madrid, his old club, that'd be interesting as well. Isn't it, but, isn't
1: it all the way? Always the way that title contenders are more nervous about the teams that they're going to face, who are about to be relegated. And you'd have thought they've got nothing to play for, but they always get nervous. That, oh, this is going to be the upset that they've been waiting for all season.
2: Well, it, it, it is good when you've you've got skin on both sides of the the game, and that is going to be reflected in my choice of game for france because of course the equation is quite simple if lille go to angers and they win much like atletico then they've won the title they looked a little bit nervous last weekend when they didn't beat saint etienne and uh, psg closed the gap to um one point now psg are playing brest away brest quite a talented team but they could still end up in the relegation playoff spot. There are five possible teams that could end up in the relegation playoff spot. But I'm not going to go for either of those games. I'm going to say the one to watch out of the big four is going to be Lens against Monaco because Lens can still make it into Europe. Monaco can finish anywhere from first to fourth. That's right. They could still win the title. Everyone thinks it's down to Lille or PSG. but basically if Monaco were to go to Lens and win and Lille and PSG have a meltdown and lose Monaco win the title <laughs> which would be amazing having said that if they don't win at Lens who as we say really want a result and Lyon beat Nice then they finish fourth so that that is all in that is all possibilities
3: nicely staggered as well on Sunday aren't they I think yeah they're going to have to explain the drop
1: to their fans and <laughs> we could have won it hmm. but we ended up fourth <laughs> it's a hard one mate
0: this was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST creative network